0: Never run out of fuel. If there was one principal commandment that Dad had while we were driving the tractors around and even our own personal vehicles, it was that. Never run out of fuel. And the purpose was simple, that Dad didn't want us taking a piece of equipment going out into the middle of a field and finding ourselves suddenly sputtering on an empty gas tank and having to walk all the way back to the house to find more gas or more diesel. And so indeed, that was always the principle. Never run out of fuel. Go and fill it up each time you take it out. And you would think that you could kind of get away with things, because most modern equipment has gas gauges, and indeed, even most of the tractors did. But there was one that did, and it didn't work. It always read empty, and so this particular one was always very difficult to tell. Is it empty? Is it full? Is it somewhere halfway in between? And so likely, what we always found ourselves doing was each and every time we passed by the tank, whenever we were getting ready to go out to the field, we would fill it all the way back up because we didn't know how much fuel we had left, and we didn't want the embarrassment of running it empty and having to call dad. And indeed, as many things we might look at in that way, and we know that simple principle that we do not want to run out of fuel, that we don't want to run our vehicles out of gas as we're driving down the highway. As good as an example of practical wisdom as that is, what about our spiritual tank? What about that tank that is within and the one that is meant not to simply get us through this life, but even to the next? What about that tank? Are we paying attention to a tank that we can't really necessarily judge the level as well as we'd like? The book of wisdom this morning, as it's speaking to us, is trying to explain the way that wisdom comes to us. And wisdom, in a particular way, is anthropomorphized, meaning it is given human characteristics. And so it takes on the form of a woman in this case. Because wisdom is so often very nebulous, it's hard to explain and harder to understand. And so the book of wisdom is trying to get us to understand as a relationship to a woman in particular. And as such, this woman is one who is to be sought after, that even those who do not yet readily seek her, that she is anticipating her their desire, that she goes to them first so that they may desire her in all of wisdom." And indeed, we think of wisdom oftentimes and we think of it as something that we gain as we grow older, that we just simply exist for a few years and it starts to happen to us. But what if it's something to be pursued? What if it's something that we have to grow in? What if it is much like this person and this woman that the book of wisdom is giving to us? Well, nonetheless, she is to be pursued, but oftentimes she may seem like she is not able to be found, very hard to distinguish from the rest of the world. And so during those points in time, what is required? to keep vigil, to keep watch, to continue to seek her even though she may not always be readily around because she will not disappoint those who wait for her. So indeed, wisdom is to be sought after. It's to be grown into. But nonetheless, in those times when true wisdom seems inescapable to our minds, where it seems rather that we can't grasp it, then even in those moments, we need to wait because indeed she will come. We move on to the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians, and he's moved out of the first introduction of this letter and into the content and into the heart of the letter at this point. He's given thanks to God for the ways that they've responded in faith, and now he's starting to answer some of their concerns, some of their questions, some of the things that he has heard. And one of the things is that they have concern, and they are very worried in their hearts for those who have fallen asleep those who have died, those who have gone before them. And it's not just because they have died. They understand what the light of Christ does for those who have died, but they're worried about those who have never known the name of Christ, those who have never witnessed this person, who have never heard his teaching and preaching, or even heard that of the disciples. They're worried about the ones that have fallen asleep a long time ago, perhaps maybe even their friends or family members, those who have gone well before they feel like they're a hopeless people, because what about those people? We want them to achieve salvation as well. And it's a beautiful thing because it shows us how selfless the Thessalonians really were. But nonetheless, they are speaking to this reality and they're concerned that they are worried in their heart of hearts that these people will not achieve salvation in the same way. But what does St. Paul tell them? He tells them in a sense, and in short, that the power of the cross is not relegated just simply to those who exist now and those who exist in the future, but it's so powerful that it even goes to those before, that we cannot live as a people unaware of the power of the cross, that we should not live as a hopeless people, but rather we should live in that hope and that expectation that the God who has suffered and died, who sent his son to redeem us, can even redeem those who have come before us. As long as they've fallen asleep in the light of faith, we can live in hope and expectation that they will also achieve salvation. Then finally we arrive at the Gospel of Matthew, and we hear about this parable that Jesus is speaking not just simply to the parables and to the scribes and the elders of the people, but to all of his disciples. And so we're told about these ten virgins. These ten virgins had one thing that they are to do. They are to simply sit and to watch for the bridegroom. And so they do this, and they know that he might come at a later hour in the evening, perhaps in those early hours whenever the light has first faded. But there is a distinction to be made, because there's five foolish and five wise, and what distinguishes the two groups is whether or not they packed enough oil for the bridegroom to come, even at a later time, even at an unexpected hour or day. And so those that are wise, they start to pack away oil, that they see the need and necessity, and they put in that extra effort, knowing that the bridegroom could be delayed, and so they're not going to be found without a lamp that is burning brightly, that they're not going to look foolish. They want to look as one truly wise and one that has the gift of prudence. And so there's that. They are the ones who have set apart fuel. These are the wise ones. And then there's the foolish ones. We can imagine the foolish ones who hear about the bridegroom who is coming, and they simply piddle around with the different projects or the different things that entertain them, that take their time. And eventually they find themselves needing to go to meet the bridegroom, and they don't have enough oil. That they realize, they look around the house, and they realize they don't have anything more than what's already in their lamp. And so they simply go, and they hope that maybe the bridegroom will come at the expected time. And what occurs? He doesn't appear for quite some time. He doesn't appear till the late hours. He doesn't even appear until midnight, and so far beyond the expected time. that It makes this point and emphasizes this point because it tells us that they all grew drowsy and fell asleep, that they had been waiting with eager anticipation for so long that eventually they reached this critical point where they all dozed off. But then there was that cry. Behold, the the bridegroom come out to meet him. And at this point, all the virgins, they get up, they trim their lamps, and they prepare them because they know that he is coming and he is very near. And the foolish ones find themselves in a predicament. They find themselves without enough oil to make their lamps burn brightly. And so they're asking the wise, give us some oil. But the wise know that they need all of that oil for the bridegroom may be further delayed. And so they reserve that oil to themselves. They can't give any and they can't spare it to the foolish. So the foolish are sent off to go buy in more oil buy more oil because they've squandered every opportunity for this point. But in the meantime, the bridegroom comes. He opens the doors. He takes those five virgins that were wise in with him, and then the door is shut and locked. The five foolish finally arrive after their venture, having squandered all that time and wasted all that time, and they approach and they ask, Lord, open the door for us. He says simply, I do not know you. You aren't here to meet me when I came. And then Jesus gives that simple encouragement to all of the disciples. Stay awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour stay awake. You don't know the day and you don't know the hour. Indeed, as we hear this, he's speaking about the kingdom of God. He's speaking about the kingdom of heaven, but he's more powerfully and importantly speaking about our approach to the kingdom of heaven. Because oftentimes in this day and age, we live in a world that is largely ignorant to that fact that each and every one of us are drawing ever nearer to our Lord and to our God, that each and every day that passes by, that is one day closer to where we appear before our Lord. We don't know when that day is, but nonetheless, we know that we're getting closer. And as such, we are given opportunities and we're given the consideration of how we are going to approach that fact. Because, my brothers and sisters, the fact is very simple and very real. Each and every one of us will appear before the throne of God. Each and every one of us are going to give an accounting for the way that we spent our life, the ways that we took the opportunities afforded us, and the ways that sometimes we kind of ventured off to the side, the ways that maybe we didn't do everything perfectly, that we're going to be given an accounting before our Lord. That fact is inescapable. One can live in complete ignorance of the gospel and simply wish it wasn't there, and they're still going to approach before the Lord, and they're going to appear before the Lord our God at that final moment. But the question is, as inescapable as this reality is, how are we going to prepare? Because many times this reality, as we are approaching the kingdom of God, it can fill many people with fear and with trepidation, with trembling, because they feel like it is some bar that is too high, and therefore they don't try. Or they try to explain it away. Or maybe they live in complete ignorance. But what if we simply saw that reality coming? What if we truly believe that that reality of the kingdom of God is here and that we should be taking this time as an opportunity, taking advantage of every moment and preparing our hearts and our souls for the Lord? Because there's a point to this being at the near the end of our liturgical year. It's trying to get us to see that as we consider the last things, we should be very aware, first and foremost, of the fact that each and every one of us will appear before the judgment seat, before the throne of God. But that means that we should be taking advantage of this moment. We live in a world that doesn't like to live in view of that moment. It wants to live in ignorance, and what's more, it wants to encourage us to kind of take that for granted and kind of live as we want. It wants us to take those moments and opportunities and take them to ourselves, to do what we want, what we desire, and what we plan to do. That we shouldn't live as we should, as the Lord would have us live, but rather we should live as we want to, as we desire, going on our every whim and fancy. But the problem is there's a consequence to that, because we will be like those five foolish virgins. We will be like those that show up at the time when the bridegroom is here, and we find our lamp of faith dimly lit and even at the danger of extinguishing, and so we will find ourselves in a predicament as well. And ultimately, we do not want to hear those words, I do not know you, because those words are deliberate. Those words are spoken to five foolish virgins because they haven't taken the time to invest in that relationship. They haven't taken the time and the energy to continue to pray to the Lord their God, to see the ways that they can draw near to the bridegroom, even while on this earth, as far as he might seem to be away. But nonetheless, we know that we're drawing ever near to that reality, and we are drawing near to that opportunity and that chance to approach our Lord and to see him face to face and to enjoy the heavenly banquet and that wedding banquet that is the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of heaven. But then we should consider how do we become wise virgins? We can become the wise virgins by storing up oil. Now, this doesn't mean that we have oil in any sense that we would have it on our kitchen shelves, but rather the oil of good works, of charitable works, of all of those things that the Lord commands and asks of us, that all of those things are the ways that we store up that oil of faith. Whenever we take the moment to approach our Lord in prayer, even in the moments when we don't feel like it, when we're too busy or too tired, that those are the moments that we have an opportunity to store up that oil of faith so that our lamps may burn brightly. And we shouldn't be mistaken in thinking that that lamp is just for the end of this life. But it's also for this one. Think about all of those trials and tribulations that happen, all of those moments of difficulty, all of the moments when it seems like the Lord is far removed from our midst. Do we have that lamp of faith burning brightly? If we take time to invest in that faith, especially when things are going well for us, whenever we have the opportunity to gain that oil, then indeed we will not find ourselves wanting whenever the trials and the tribulations, the sufferings and all those things that cause us sorrow in this life happen and occur. Because the darkness will happen. That darkness that consumed all of them, it consumed all of them in the same way. And they found themselves drowsy and fell asleep. But it was only the wise ones that had the light of faith to persist and to make it through those trials so that they could still live in a relationship with the Lord and with the bridegroom. And that is a simple encouragement for us as well, because we should store that oil up at every moment. That we shouldn't forsake these moments of opportunity that are given to us. Because oftentimes the great problem that is in our society and in our day and age is that we view faith as something we get to later something else that we get to at the end of our life whenever we have nothing else to do whenever we're just simply sitting and idling whenever we've retired and all of our other duties are done then we'll do the, the faith thing but what if that opportunity never comes what if our lord comes at a moment when you do not expect or i do not expect what if he comes to us in years and years earlier than that light might have than we would have anticipated will we be disappointed will we be found with lamps that are going out and even in danger of extinguishing? Because whenever the Lord says, you do not know the day or nor the hour, it is much like that gas gauge that is not working. That it is ultimately up to us to make and take advantage and to fill up our tank each and every time we have that opportunity. Each and every time we pass through a sacrament, even, even each and every time whenever we have prayer or whenever we have the opportunity to do the right thing, to avoid the wrong, to continue to adhere to the Lord, to do charitable works for one another. Because each and every one of those times it is as if we are filling up that tank even though we don't quite know what the level is or we don't know how far it is until we meet the Lord our God. Because we should live in view of wisdom, we should keep vigil, we should be awake, and we should be aware, always paying attention for the Lord when he comes, so that in that time we're not surprised, and it's not a a disappointing surprise, but rather it's one filled with grace and with blessing, because we have enough fuel to get us, not just through this life, but into the next as well. Whenever my dad always gave us that piece of advice, he always told us, never let the tractors run out of fuel or even your own vehicles. Never run out of fuel. And he didn't ever want us to be disappointed or be found and embarrassed in some way because we didn't have enough to make it home. And indeed, that's the encouragement that each of us receive in our faith, to continue to to amass those good works, to do everything that we can and take advantage of every moment and every opportunity given to us at this time so that we can fill up our oil lamps and we can fill them to overflowing so that when our Lord comes for us, we will be found with that light of faith burning intensely and very brightly. That advice my dad gave is ever more true today. Never run out of fuel. May each and every one of us as our Lord approaches and draws near to us day by day find us with lamps that are burning brightly and may we too never run out of fuel.